HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides. And on tonight's show, uh, we're covering a very special topic. It's a very special episode of Let's Get Real. We have a, a guest in the house tonight. We have uh, Christopher Hell from Kane Vineyards and Winery. Is that correct? We Kane? just say one vineyard. Just one vineyard. Kane Vineyard and Winery. Vineyard and Winery. Um, Chris is a, a new friend of mine, new pen pal. We've been writing back and forth a lot. And he's a great sponsor of Heritage Radio and this show in particular. So welcome to the studio and to New York. Thank you, Erica. For making the trip out to Bushwick, Brooklyn on this cold, windy, <laughs> wintry day. You're a long way from California today. Um, now, uh, Chris is in the studio because uh, he was coming to New York and got in touch with me and said he wanted to come on the show and, and talk about how foodiness applies to wine. I think this is a topic that's very... Uh, near and dear to you. And on Let's Get Real, you know, we talk about booze and drinking a lot. It's a favorite subject. And um, we've talked a lot on the show about how foodiness has kind of dragged alcohol and alcoholic beverages down into the rabbit hole along with food by adding artificial flavoring to things, making things taste like candy. You know, one of my favorite topics is the candification of everything that we eat and drink, of course. And, um, you know, how we've arrived at things like birthday cake flavored vodka and cotton candy martinis. And, um, you know, as a result now we have people drinking probably way more than they should because it's so sweet and people drinking things that would normally be, you know, flavored for, for toddlers at birthday parties and not drinking like adults. And, um, you know, one of my favorite sayings about that sort of drinking is uh, puking by midnight, pregnant by dawn. But I don't think that really applies to uh, to what you produce in your vineyard. So can you just give us a little intro, a little background to uh, the kind of wine you produce, where you're located, all of that, a little background? Uh, 
Well, we're at, in Cane Vineyard. We're on the top of a mountain in outside of the Napa Valley. It's called Spring Mountain, and um, the Napa Valley is uh, definitely, at least for America, the Disneyland of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there is no place where illusion could be more important than any other sense. And yet we're on this mountaintop. We grow grapes. We uh, pick grapes. We turn it into wine and uh, age it and put it in a bottle and uh, get out there and share it with a few people. Um, that being said, the interesting part is which which part's real and which mm-hmm. part is, is the illusion. Right, right. We talk about how foodiness has, you know, stuck its sticky fingers into everything we eat, and I think it also applies to winemaking, too. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Well, you know, when I heard you talking about cupcake-flavored vodka, mm-hmm. it reminded me that there is such a wine called cupcake mm-hmm. wine. Sure, I've seen it <laughs> yeah. in the store. <laughs> and uh, it's just fascinating to see how much wine uh, that people are totally in love with. Nobody has any idea what it is or where it came from, and it constantly reminds me that those things, what it is, what is in the bottle, where it came from, is almost secondary for most people's experience with wine. Mm-hmm. And and yet there's a tremendous amount of storytelling about wine sure. that just goes on and on and on. And, and then again, which part of that story was real and which part isn't? And that's, mm-hmm. that is what really attracted to me to um, your show, mm-hmm. is how, how you go after that, that issue of the experience of what is real food? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at least with food, you can read the label. If you know how to read the label, you can see what's in there. I feel completely deceived and snowed by wine. I go into a wine store, and I and I think I know a little bit about wine and what I'm buying, but um, often I just feel like I'm you know shooting in the dark. And that's because there's no ingredient labeling yeah. on on wine. Uh, for that matter, I think on, on any, any alcohol, any booze. Yeah, uh, but. But hopefully wine is more than booze, and yet there's no labeling. And there's two parts to that story. One is the politics of it um, and the administration of it, which is that it is being booze. It is subject to taxes. Mm. And we are regulated by the Department of Treasury, not the Department of Food and Agriculture, not the Federal uh, Food and Drug Commission, but no, Not Department ATF. of Treasury. It is the ATF. Part of ATF is yeah, the Treasury. Now we call it TTB, but the oh. bottom line is they're regulating cigarettes, alcohol, and firearms. Nice. It's and nice that you It's a natural association. Right. You're one of the biggest agricultural products in the country, and you're being lumped in with firearms and cigarettes. You know, nice. I, in all fairness, I have to say I have a lot of friends who like it that way. Mm. And the reason they like it that way is precisely because there is no labeling. Sure, nobody's watching. And I would say just the opposite. If if wine, which I think is a pretense to call it food, but it does begin with grapes. Sure. It grows in the vineyard. Uh, nonetheless, uh, why can't we put ingredients on the bottle? Yeah. And a lot of people say to me very simply, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> right. Do we want to know what's in there? So I think, th- I think the fair answer is that what I have to do is provide that information at best on our website mm-hmm. and, and just spell it all out. Mm-hmm. Because I think people should want to know and they should be able to know what they're drinking. Yeah. I mean, if I buy a bottle of wine, I'm just assuming all that's in there is grapes, <laughs> yeast. You mean when it's called cupcake <laughs> wine? Is yeah, that really even what then, you're thinking? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I guess cupcake 
I assumed originally just started out as a, a winery, as a name of a winery, but now they actually make flavored products also. I saw something that was cupcake flavored cupcake brand. Yeah. I think vodka, something like yeah. that. I mean, and I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I mean, I'll buy like a oh. good bottle of gin or something like that, but I don't want flavored vodka in my life. Um, if anyone ever saw me drinking that anyway, I'd be, you know, kicked out of Brooklyn probably. You couldn't do the show anymore, could I you? I couldn't do the show no. anymore. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just assume when I buy a bottle of wine, I'm just getting grapes and alcohol, you know, and, naturally and fermented from the yeast that naturally occurs on those grapes, being, you know, in my sort of little bubble here. Thank know, goodness for your assumptions. For my naivete. A, a lot of us can take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, that I understand how natural fermentation works, and that's what it is, right? Uh, well, I, I should say, and this is specific to us here at Kane, we actually don't add yeast. We really do just take just grapes let and let it ferment. And it's a really fun thing. It's an amazing thing. And yet, in my world, it's considered heresy. Mm. Every year we bring in um, interns, just mm-hmm. exactly like stages, mm-hmm. and these people think we're crazy that we didn't add yeast because mm. they've all gone to school and they all know you're supposed to. Mm. And the shelves are filled with hundreds of choices of highly selected yeasts that will somehow make your wine magic. Mm. And it turns out the magic happens all by itself. Sure, like with good bread making, it just happens. All you have to do is put some flour and water out and let the yeast find it, and they attack it, and then that's fermentation. And it turns out the best bread is made that way? Right, and the longest and slowest bread yeah. to make. I mean, that's, it's all about mass production and being cost effective. And, you know, that's, that's where, you know, what do I talk about? Foodiness, a lot of it has to do with industrialization and mechanization of food production and all that. So, I mean, I'm sure your product costs so much more because of the time and the, the lack of additional ingredients involved. It's well, the cost to make it is definitely higher. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, time is perhaps not the greatest cost. And Although there could be, in cupcake wine, uh, a much larger volume produced, and there may be issues of cost and scale. When I go back to all these yeasts, it isn't about the time or the cost of production. It's about the control Mm. and the need to dial it in, because you think you (laughs) know what you wanted, Mm. but you never did know what you wanted. Mm. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you're subject to the vagaries and the wilds of... The yeast kind of doing what they want to do. Isn't that the beauty? It is, sure. But, you know, if you're looking to produce, what, millions of bottles a year and have them all be identical, you can't. It's like if, you know, Pepperidge Farm decided to use natural fermentation for all their bread and every loaf was different. So here's the crazy thing about wine. There's quite a a range of scale. You could be making wine as as small a quantity, well, actually less than a barrel, but let's say a barrel. A barrel is 60 gallons, the equivalent of 300 bottles. Mm. Actually, it's a lot. Most of us don't need a barrel of Mm. wine. But that is relatively small scale. You mean personally most of us don't need a barrel? In a year, oh, even three hundred one bottle I know. a day. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, that's okay. That's just about yeah. the <laughs> personal size, <laughs> right? One barrel <laughs> per day, no, per year, right? One one barrel. Per oh, right. We're not talking about like Coke. That's but we could volume. scale. Yeah. But a lot of wineries. There are now in the Napa Valley almost a thousand wineries, and most wow. of them are producing something in the range of maybe a hundred barrels. Wow. So it's not huge. No. We're not talking Coca-Cola. Yeah. And the real funny thing about wine is even if you are the size of Coca-Cola, everybody wants to trade on the idea of 
that mom and pop sure. you know I'm out in the vineyard of crushing course. the grapes of course and but the, guess what it, in many cases it's literally true mm-hmm. and so how do you know with a bottle of wine you know if it came from a place that made a million cases or 10,000 cases mm-hmm. or a hundred cases. Right. I mean, growing up, like, I remember my parents would buy those, you know, jugs of Almaden or Gallo, you know, that sort of stuff. And you kind of knew, you know, <laughs> you knew it was more sure. honest in a way. You were like, this comes in a gallon jug. I'm not really assuming it's made by some, you know, quaint guy up in the hills of, of Sonoma, you know. Uh, but how do you tell now? I mean, the branding is so good. Marketing, labeling, it's so good. It's the same thing in the food industry. You know, products that you think are made by these kind of small progressive green companies, it's just a front for some big agriculture conglomerate, you know, Unilever, General Foods. Yeah, and, and I see that problem of how can you tell. And I also see that we're um, collectively in our culture playing into it when we refer to things that come from relatively small kitchens, for example, as products Mm -hmm. and as brands, we're using the language of Unilever Mm. to describe the work that we did Mm. in our own little wine cellar. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really strongly object to the use of the word brand. Mm. If if you grew the grapes and you smacked them down and made the wine, I mean, is that the same as as, um, Unilever? No, right. It's like we need need a new vocabulary for it. But if you use the same words... And you quickly bring the same thought processes, which is it's all about marketing and branding as opposed to, well, what's really in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that even goes down to really small-scale artisanal um, mustard and sure. so forth. Chocolate, you know, People, people kind of lose track. They really want to have a brand. The truth is what they want to do is flip it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to sell it to Unilever. <laughs> well, that's what my co-producer, who's also named Chris, and I always joke about that. You know, when we finally get this show on the air, on TV, get it really big, we're going to sell it to Unilever. <laughs> that's our ultimate goal. <laughs> and they're going to build Screw a this. <laughs> they're going to build a studio that looks, looks like exactly this. like this <laughs> in Burbank. Exactly, and you can take a little tour because you won't have to walk through it to visit because people won't be able to walk by then. It'll be like Wally; they'll ride their little hover chairs and. This is the Heritage Radio Tour at Epcot. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a very quick break, and then we'll be back in a few minutes more with Chris from Cane Vineyard. We'll be right back. You're listening to Penny by Snowmine on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. 
And uh, tonight we are talking about the foodiness of wine, so to speak, with our friend Christopher Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery in Napa Valley. I want to make sure to emphasize that it's only one vineyard. Um, so we've been talking about um, foodiness and wine and how do we know what we're getting in the bottle. And we were talking about branding and and. and how even the, your, their smallest uh, mom-and-pop vineyard now has to become a brand and be, has to market themselves that way. And um, so during the break, I mentioned to you, Chris, that my co-producer on the show, uh, Chris Nutter, is a big fan of a mass-produced New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc that he drinks. And I had mentioned I don't want to name names, although we always do on this show, so I don't really know what I'm afraid of. <laughs> Kim Crawford, Sauvignon Blanc. He wanted me to ask you why he at least perceives that he gets more drunk or a better, or he calls it he gets a better buzz off of this wine than other wines. Do you think it's just illusion? Is it just in his mind? I think the experience goes beyond um, just the the hit of the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And it led me to, to actually go back to what you really do, Erica, because I th the food is far more important than the wine. And... Um, that there could be aspects that, of well-being that are transferred by the experience of, of taking the wine in. And one thing about, let's just say, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc from the Marlborough Valley is that the alcohol is a little less. Mm. So maybe you can hmm. drink it more slowly. I don't think he's drinking slowly. And it's, and it's got um, <laughs> and it, and, and it's got a lot of um, uh, great aroma characters that mm. get in there. And so it's a, there's a zesty passion fruit, um, uh, I hesitate to say kiwi from New Zealand, mm. but um, maybe lime also uh -huh. in there that, that keeps it really interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. So maybe it's that. It's like the brightness and the freshness mm -hmm. of it. He's sort of getting like a buzz off of that in a way as opposed mm -hmm. to the you know, heavier tannins of a red or something and, like that. And, well, and also it's more interesting than the raspberry and the vodka. <laughs> right, yeah. right. During the break, I did mention that before Chris and I started working on the show together, his favorite cocktail was raspberry-flavored Svetka with Diet Sprite. And, of course, it wasn't real raspberry. Of course not. No, and, and I mean, that's the thing that, of course, drives me insane is that all these flavored products are out there and they don't list their ingredients. So I don't. I mean, I wouldn't buy it anyway, but if I were, I would want to know what was creating that raspberry mm -hmm. flavor that, you know, when when Absolute years ago started with their grapefruit and their pepper flavored and their citron, I just thought, okay, they're probably using citrus oils or pepper or things like that. I sort of didn't question it. But then flavors like cake started coming out or, you know, <laughs> chocolate pudding flavor, whatever they are. And there's no way for you to just kind of take a drop of chocolate pudding essence from the real thing and put it in a product so obviously it's just a whole like chemical soup but maybe you could go into what people do to wine you know mass-produced wines to create flavor the sort of foodiness tricks that other wineries use to enhance their wine oh sure i want to i want to reveal this dark world i um, would love that, for you that's, to reveal. that's what i came for okay that. good uh, well let it rip kinda, let's pull the cork on that one i'm kind of kidding but i i do want to say <laughs> one thing before i go there is that uh, it isn't about scale the sense of mass production mm -hmm. is not what not what causes the the foodiness uh -huh. in wine because the shocking thing is some of the smallest scaled wines are the most highly controlled and mm. it is all about needing to belong. It is exactly like fashion. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And if there is no fashion, then haute couture, where every stitch was taken with a purpose. Right. So back to all the things that could be done. If you just take grapes and just put them, smash them up, they will ferment. We already discussed that. Sure. Well, what if you didn't want them to ferment? What if you wanted to let them sit there by themselves and you'd refrigerate them? What if you wanted to try to kill everything on the grapes, thinking that somehow you could sterilize it, which you can't? Mm. Um, that's sulfur dioxide. You do see contained sulfites. Yes. People do add sulfites. That's the only thing that's written on the label. The right. exact same thing that keeps your dried apricot right. orange. Right, from turning black, yeah. Right, which is either good or bad. We at Cane do use sulfites, but with, I would say, in moderation, but we mm-hmm. do use it uh, at the very beginning. But then we let the grapes start to ferment on their own. Of course, then you can add yeast, you can add yeast nutrients, but what if you want to add uh, oak flavor? Mm-hmm. You could add oak chips. Right, that I've heard of. Yeah, right. that's no big deal. Mm-hmm. What about enzymes? Mm-hmm. You know, if you naturally, if the grapes will naturally uh, break themselves down with their own enzymes, why not add more? Mm-hmm. What if a darker red is a better red? Mm-hmm. Why don't I add extra color, mm-hmm. extra pigment, maybe derived from somebody else's grapes to add it to mm-hmm. my tank? So now it's got more color. What? I've even heard of molasses. Really? To add viscosity, sweetness, darkness? But we're just getting the wine fermented. We don't even have it, you know, done, pressed, and in the barrel. And then, it's, and then it just goes on like that, right? Yeah. And, of course, the other most basic things that could be added are acid, very mm-hmm, common sure. thing. And if we go back to um, Europe, if the grapes were not adequately ripe, they didn't have enough sugar, the one of the most common things is to add sugar, sure. right? And the term that they politely call it in France is chaptalization. But it's basically when they first had industrial crystallized white powdered sugar, mm-hmm. somebody needed to figure out what to do with it. This <laughs> guy's name was Chaptal, oh. and he found a market. It huh. was in the wineries the wine where you could dump it into the tank. Mm. And you know what? That white powder magically turns into ethanol. Mm. Alcohol. Accelerates the yeast, right? Well, but not a, well. it's the yeast that turns it. It does yeah. just that. As you yeah. would add sugar to bread, right? Right. You can, yeah. So you can just add all of these up. things. Sure. And then, and then the question is, now that you have this wine, can you, can you sculpt it? Can you mm. take it off to the plastic surgeon and, and, <laughs> and pump it up where you want to pump it up right. and trim it back? Tuck. Exactly. I love that illusion. That's great. And all, so, so it goes on, but it comes back now to the structure of the wine. And then maybe putting in some toxic chemicals to kill bacteria and yeast that mm-hmm. you didn't want to be growing in your mm-hmm. supposedly natural but actually completely unnatural wine. Like fungicides, things like that? What do uh, well, they, they, they're, they're things that kill yeast, mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. Um, fungicides, I don't know that that would be the right word, mm. of course, but that specific molecules, I've forgotten them. Dye something, something. The problem is I right. don't go to these stores now. Yeah, I mean, I'm stuff. not a chemist. I don't but know, it but exists. I, anyway, right. all that. And but then it's of like what they'll put into, you know, packaged bread products to keep them from It's a, It's similar, but not the same yeah, idea. Right. Again, more sulfites. Yeah. Sulfites. I think wine as we know it, sulfites really are part of the story. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you consider that good or bad, I, I would say you simply cannot call it natural. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, and this is the larger issue, if you argue it from the other side, is, well, if you just let wine be natural, it would naturally turn to vinegar. Mm. That's more or less true, mm-hmm. eventually. Yeah. Eventually, but not when it's sitting in the bottle, protected from oxygen. It won't turn to vinegar. Right. Um, and 
I think in general the idea is less processing is better, and obviously less chemicals is better. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, uh, the idea that there should be no control and no thought would imply that there's no cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> right. Well, right. It would be like the raw food people who it you is. Know, I, who I. In fact, against. in fact, I just got. Yeah. I just realized that I was hearing you thinking about raw food and and. Um, yeah, natural wine is 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 the wine's contribution to the raw food. <laughs> it's the raw food analog. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Right. Except that would be the first wine I would seek out, you know, in my kind of naive, you know, let's keeping keeping it all real way. I would look for the natural wine, whereas I love to, you know, rant and rave against the raw food people. Me too, actually. And I haven't thought too much about raw food, but I I totally get it now that that in that sense, you know, while I too believe actually the less is more for wine, uh, the problem of choosing to do nothing leads you to a place that is equally un- unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. And and in the case of cooking, of course, completely defeats the whole point. <laughs> it's just denied <laughs> right. that we will cook. Yeah. Uh, we're not even really hunter-gatherers anymore. <laughs> we, Far from it, yeah. We, so... Right. Um, but back to that that primary issue of wanting to be natural, I think what it really underscores again is that in that glass of wine, what we're really enjoying is the illusion, mm-hmm. and that's why you like that naturalness too. Sure, sure. I mean, any I feel like any time I open a bottle of wine, I'm I'm swallowing some form of illusion because of the mystery surrounding it and the mystique and and thousands of years of history and I, every I always have this like cloud of conflict over my head I don't know if I bought the right thing I don't know if I'm drinking the right wine I don't know if you know am I doing it the right way which is how I feel about a lot of things in my life like maybe I'm not doing this right maybe there's a better way I need to know and then I just buy you know the Tempranillo from Spain that I like and I stick with that because that's what I like and is there any sort of labeling with natural wine? Is there any sort of, you know, like with food, there are very kind of blurry things about, you know, oh, this is natural. Or, you know, even with organics now, there's all different, there's different kinds of organic. You know, there's USDA organic, and then there's Oregon Tilth, and there's California. And, you know, how does that apply to winemaking and to these natural wines? Well, thank you for mentioning Oregon Tilth, because I do think that that ties pretty well. The first thing you look for would be made from organically grown grapes. Mm -hmm. And that there's some definition of Mm -hmm. that in our country. It's a little less clear. It's not the same definition in Europe. Um, But there is the idea that the grapes themselves could be be organic or, uh, and I will add to that, biodynamic, Mm -hmm. where in a, I think in a very misleading and simplistic way, it's seen as just an advanced kind of organic, where Mm -hmm. it's actually completely different. But nonetheless, those represent less less uh, toxic products mm-hmm. going into the vineyard. When in the winemaking side, there is no clear definition. We do have organic wine uh, in our country. Thankfully, organic wine is defined as no sulfites added, mm. and actually less than a very low, low, low level of detectable sulfites because yeast naturally produce it also. So. Um, you can find a very little, tiny amount of of wine labeled organic. Yeah, right, I've seen. Um, organically grown grapes far more common. Um, there are some websites out there about natural wine. Um, that is another way to pursue it. Mm-hmm. I think um, how the grapes were, were grown is a big deal. I think that uh, how many things were put in the bottle 
are a big deal. Mm -hmm. So I think your ingredient labeling is is something. And what what I guess I'm coming down to is there's no clear answer. Yeah. And at the end, if you really want a natural wine, I think it's a I, it's one more illusory fetish mm-hmm. that ultimately <laughs> gets you perhaps not the most interesting wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Illusory fetish. It's a good one. Yeah. I'm not even sure how that works. Yeah. Well, it applies to food, too. I mean, you know, you sort of think you're buying one thing and you really are buying another thing, which is sort of how I came into the whole idea about foodiness. Um, we're getting a little close on time. If there is there something you want to uh, bring up? Any questions you have for... For the foodiness world. Well, I do, I, I do think just to close it back about if you wanted to know what does it mean for uh, wine to be real, I think, there's, I think the key is going to be, first of all, provenance and knowing where it really came from. We're used to seeing names of countries and regions we can't pronounce, sometimes grape varieties we mm-hmm. can't pronounce. Dialing it into the specific vineyard, though, does make it always more concrete. Mm -hmm. And when the vineyard is named, I think that gives you a sense of confidence. And uh, the regulations around the world are pretty clear about that. Uh, What is not clear to a lot of people is you could have a brand name that says so-and-so vineyard. Yeah, right. And the grapes didn't come from there at all. Yeah, so how do you know? I mean, I'm... You have to read about the third or fourth line down on the label where you'll actually find the vineyard identified okay. if it is identified mm-hmm. same thing for the winery if the winery is sort of an anonymous brand i think it ultimately it's at first it's confusing but ultimately you realize do they have an address on the back <laughs> right. do they say the name of their town yeah. uh, have they identified the winery and perhaps maybe even the grower of the grapes so if it's an estate bottled wine i think that's a good sign mm-hmm. um, i would go one step further if you think the wine is trying really hard to be cool, you know how you say if it says it's natural, it's not? <laughs> if it has to like tell you what it is, it's so, not. Yeah. So the more desperately cool the wine is, perhaps the least likely it is to be something that, mm. that has been little manipulated. Trying too hard. Exactly. It's like a spray-on tan. There you go. So, uh, And then if we could get to ingredient la- labeling... The fewer ingredients, just like that, the rule from Michael Pollan. Sure. Fewer the ingredients, the better. Right. Well, except that they're not listed. So and that's know. why people need to say it, and I'm going to fix that, at least with my little winery. You're going to start listing your ingredients? We'll put it on the website. We won't be allowed to put it on the label, but mm. we can direct people to find it. Really? So even if you voluntarily want to put it on the label, you can't? Not with current labeling regulations. Wow. You have to conform. Insane. I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. But you'll put it on your website. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and bef- uh, before we went on the air, we were talking here also about how uh, people use eggs for, what mm-hmm. is it called, for fining? Yeah, well, it's just like you would clarify a stock. Sure, right. The like same idea. We mm-hmm. use we use egg whites. That's one possibility. Mm-hmm. There's another one. People r- categorically say fish guts, but in fact, it's a piece of a, the sturgeon, the same thing mm-hmm. you get the caviar from. Mm-hmm. The swim bladder of the sturgeon oh, is sure. a very fine gelatin sure. icing glass. Icing glass, yeah. It, on white wines, it really works well. Mm-hmm. So uh, for adding egg whites, here's a little recipe for you. <laughs> to add egg whites to your red wine, um, separate the eggs from the yolks, uh, disperse it in uh, uh, lightly salted water, kind of like the salt of seawater mm-hmm. or saline solution, uh, about 5% egg whites to uh, one egg white, let's say, to a cup of water and salt, a little salt. Mix it up, stir it up. Add it to the wine, to the barrel, stir the barrel vigorously, Mm -hmm. wait three weeks. The egg whites gradually coalesce, they Mm -hmm. coagulate, and they settle to the bottom. 
gently removing just a little bit of bitterness, a little mm. a bit of rough edges from the wine. Mm. And as they filter down, they will leave the wine that much more brilliant and that sure. much more clear. And a point made here, nothing gained but something lost, of course. Mm. And so something was removed from mm-hmm. the wine. And it might be a little less full, a little less rich, but it could be that much more sleek and polished. Mm. But then it makes it not vegan. It does. Not that I care, of course. You know how I feel about vegans. That's right. But that would seem to me something that... Vegans would want to know. Vegans would want to know. Oh, and and what if eggs were fined, God forbid, with gelatin? Yeah, sure. It could be coming from a pig. Pig, sure, sure. I think there's other people who'd like to know about that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in kosher wineries they use eggs and not gelatin, but you never know. Although there is kosher gelatin, too. I didn't know that. Yeah, my grandparents were kosher, and we ate a lot of jello in their house. But I think it was it's the stuff called K-Gel, which was the kosher gelatin, <laughs> and which to me sounds like some sort of weird, like, I don't know, sex lube or something, K-Gel. <laughs> but we did eat a lot of gelatin in their, in their house. Well, unfortunately, we are just about out of time. Um, but it's been really great to have you, and I love this connection between foodiness and, and wine. And um, next time you're on the East Coast, let's do it again. Come and visit us anytime. And the name of your website, so people know. Cane 5 and I'll spell that out, dot com. So C-A-I-N-F-I-V-E dot com. Dot com. And can people order wine directly from you? In certain states. In certain states. Oh, that's right. There are all those issues, too, of ordering. Yeah, call us up. We'd love to get get you wine either directly from us or from one of the wine shops we mm-hmm. work with. Do you sell on the East Coast too? Are you in we shops do. here? Oh, okay. Yeah. Good to know. And you guys have been a great sponsor of the show, and we really appreciate everything you have done for Heritage. And um, hope that you'll keep on keeping on with us, fighting the good fight here. Well, er- Erica, in adding. Uh, an element of levity to this whole fight. I think you've added a lot to Heritage Radio Network. Thanks, thanks. Well, I'm trying, trying hard. Um, It's a topic that is very important to me, as you know. You've heard me get all fired up on the air as you've listened to my show, and, and I think it's important. And also, when you and I planned on doing this, it was a month ago, and we said that today's show would be either a celebration or a, uh, a, a crying session based on the election. This won't air until next week, but uh, we can be happy today, and hopefully we'll be moving forward. The food movement now has a, a fighting chance to keep going. We won't be thrust back 100 years or so in terms of policy. So we can. it's too early in the morning, but we can say we're drinking to that, to, our, <laughs> to the next four more years, hopefully. So, well, thanks so much for coming, and that's our cue that we're out of time. And thanks to Jack in the control room, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.